Hi, welcome to Forever Paranormal with Dr. Bill and Deb. The term paranormal refers to phenomena and experiences that are beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding and cannot be easily explained through traditional scientific principles. These phenomena often challenge conventional beliefs and are associated with the supernatural, metaphysical, or unexplained aspects of reality. As with any field of inquiry, it is essential to approach the paranormal with an open but critical mind, relying on empirical evidence and logical reasoning to draw conclusions. It's a topic that continues to intrigue and challenge both believers and skeptics alike, and if we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. You'll be surprised by what all can be connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Please just reach out. Well, hello there. And welcome everyone to this week's episode where we are going to discuss something that doesn't seem to get much news anymore, and that is alien abductions, and maybe even some regular alien visitations. Hi Deb, how are you this week? Hi, I am at war with myself about getting back on the fitness train lately, but it's fine. It's all fine. Spring is around the corner, so... Knowing myself, I will be more excited to get out there. I know you took a little bit of a break after that uh, 5K, but you've still been going at it. I'm still proud of you. So, with that said, do you have anything new for us this week? With all the politics, wars, and celebrity news, I looked for some more positive news to share and came across a site called Only Good News Daily. Hmm. I'd like to share a couple tidbits of good news from this last month. Okay. Like, the U.S. Mint has released images of the five new quarters that will enter currency this year, and they will showcase five women who have impacted American history. Do you know who those five women are? Not at this time. Okay. Now, I know I have been leery of the advent of... AI, but there is a team of students that recently won a prize for using artificial intelligence to read the first passages of a 2,000-year-old scroll that had been carbonized in a volcanic eruption in 79 AD. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Still don't like AI, but anyhow... Lastly, the 2024 Olympic medals were unveiled and are embedded with actual pieces of the Eiffel Tower. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. So they took apart part of the Eiffel Tower? I don't know how they did it, but that is what is... Has, well, they did remodel it a few years yeah, back, so maybe, maybe some of the Russ's where... stuff they took out and they put in those medals. That's really cool. Yeah. You know... My little mind's going to have to look into that. But okay. That's really cool. That. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, let's start off by saying this is one giant rabbit hole. So we are going to try and stay on course. 
since this is like many other tunnel systems, it has a lot of offshoots you can go down. Trust me, there's a lot of stray tunnels to go down on this one. Today's UFO UAP news is all about exposure and how many craft and alien bodies the government supposedly has in its possession, so on and so forth. But with that said, in case you're wondering, there is a source out there that has the current count at six crafts and 124 aliens, with 11 of them still being alive. Is this, is this a credible source? I'm not quite sure, but I do know it's a source that I have that I've come across. How credible it is, no one can ever say on how credible any source is. Really? I so, this is supposedly from an ex-government person. Okay. So, I'm just going to take it for what it is. Okay. Right? Yeah. I'm fairly certain that anyone listening to this story has heard about some of the more famous abduction cases out there. Like... Betty and Barney Hill, who we talked about in episode 8. If you recall, they were the first reported case, which happened in New Hampshire on September 19, 1961. Then we have Travis Walton, who was abducted near Heber, Arizona on November 5, 1975, and was missing for five days, and he passed 16 different lie detector tests about it over the years. This one that we're going to discuss now is pretty well known within the UFO community, but not so much outside of it, and since it had so much press coverage when it happened in 1973, and is still getting some today, I figured we would start out with it. Of course, we're talking about the Pascagoula incident, which took place on October 11, 1973, in Pascagoula, Mississippi. This is when two men, 42-year-old Charles Hickson and 18-year-old Calvin Parker, contacted the Jackson County, Mississippi Sheriff's Department claiming they were abducted by aliens while fishing from the bank of the Pascagoula River. The following is from an interview Parker had with the Clarion Ledger in 2018. Parker said he noticed blue light reflecting off the water and his initial thought was law enforcement officers had arrived to tell the two fishermen they needed to leave the property. However, when Parker looked up, he realized the light was coming from a craft like nothing he had ever seen. A big light came out of the clouds, Parker said. It was a blinding light. It was hard to tell with the light so bright, but it looked like it was shaped like a football. I would say just estimating it was about 80 feet and made very little sound. It was just like a hissing noise. Parker said three legless creatures floated from the craft. One had no neck with gray wrinkled skin. Another had a neck and appeared more feminine. Parker described their hands as being shaped like mittens or crab claws. When one of the creatures put one of its claws around his arm, Parker said he was terrified, but then another feeling came over his body. I think they injected us with something to calm us down, Parker said. I was kind of numb and went along with the program. Parker said the creatures held his and Hickson's arms and floated them into the craft 
where examinations were performed on the two. Then they returned to the bank of the river. After some debate, the two decided they needed to alert authorities and ended up in an interview room at the sheriff's office. During the interview, Parker remained silent, something he regretted when he later was able to listen to the recording. I was wishing I had really opened up to them and told them everything, Parker said. Hickson, who has since died, tried to explain during the 1973 interview with the sheriff's office what happened and what he saw, including going into the craft. And they glided me into that thing, Hickson said. You know how you just guide somebody? All of us moved like we were floating through the air. When I got in there, they had me. You know, they just kind of had me there. There were no seats, no chain. They just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just floated, felt no sensation, no pain. They kept me in that position a little while, and they'd raise me back up. Hickson also tried to describe a machine he thought was used for a medical examination. No, it wasn't like no x-ray machine, Hickson said. There ain't no way to describe it. It looked like an eye, like a big eye. It had some kind of an attachment to it. It moved. It looked like a big eye. And it went all over my body, up and down, and then they left me. Hickson answered many questions and described the aliens as being about five feet tall with a single leg and foot-like appendage without toes. He said they had what appeared to be ears, a nose, and a mouth, but none of the features looked human. He said he was so scared he couldn't remember if they had eyes. He also said he couldn't remember details about leaving the craft, only Parker's reaction. The only thing I remember is that kid, Calvin, just standing there, Hickson said. I've never seen that sort of fear on a man's face as I saw on Calvin's. It took me a while to get him back to his senses, and the first thing I told him was, Son, ain't nobody going to believe this. Let's just keep this whole thing to ourselves. Well, the more I thought about it, the more I thought I had to let some officials know. After the questioning, Sheriffs Diamond and Ryder left the room. Ryder, now retired and living in Van Cleve, said he didn't believe any of Hickson's story. I wasn't really impressed with them, Ryder said. You have people trying to get notoriety, and I thought they were trying to get notoriety with the spaceship. But, while Parker and Hickson were alone, there was a hidden recorder that was still recording. What was recorded changed Ryder's mind. The two talked about fear, sleeplessness, and needing to see a doctor, among other things. At times, it was almost like they were talking to themselves. Jesus Christ, God have mercy, I thought. I'd been through enough of hell on this earth, and now I've got to go through something like this, see, said Hickson. But they could have, you know, I guess they... Well, they could have harmed us, son. They had us. They could have done anything to us. But they didn't hurt me. Parker spoke mainly about his anxiety. 
I just want to cry right now, Parker said. What's so damn bad about it is nobody's going to believe us. I got to get home and get to bed and take some nervous pills or something. See a doctor or something. I can't stand this. I'm about to go all to pieces. I can't sleep like it is. I'm damn near crazy. The two continued talking and Ryder still remembers Parker's words. I put them in a room with a voice-activated recorder and that convinced me, Ryder said. When that boy was talking about them coming back to get us, you had an 18-year-old boy that had never seen anything until this. He was genuinely scared. He was telling Charlie, don't talk to the deputies, they'll come back and get us. They didn't make it up, I guarantee that, said the sheriff. I have to ask, were they tested for narcotics or anything that would have led to hallucinations? Actually, yes, they were. They were given sobriety tests, uh, drug tests, some blood work. Mm -hmm. They did end up going to emergency room and stuff like that because they were really having a hard time dealing with this. Oh. So this, this went on for quite a while. Okay. So, yeah, they did. Good question. There have now been witnesses that have since stepped forward about this event, including Maria Blair, who was waiting with her husband, who worked on an offshore boat. It was a warm night. It was like 73 degrees, and it was kind of easy to just sit in the car and wait for the captain to get there, Blair said. While they were waiting, Jerry went to sleep, and Maria saw what she describes as a strange blue light streaking back and forth. You're looking up at the sky, looking at stars, the big dipper and things. That's when I saw it rise up in the sky, Blair said, where I saw it come up. The blue light was just right over where they were abducted. At the time, she thought, it was a plane or a helicopter. I don't think it was a UFO, Blair said, or I didn't think it was a UFO, Blair said. According to Blair, the blue light continued moving without noticeable sound for about 30 minutes. When it went out of sight, we hear this loud water. Just something fell into the water. It was a loud splash, Blair said. The water was just rippling, and when I looked down, that's when it looked like a person in the water. I was looking just right below me. Blair still doesn't know what she saw in the water and didn't think much of it until the next day when she heard about the Parker and Hickson incident and what they had told the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. I was watching two men being abducted by a UFO, she said. Despite believing what she saw was a UFO, she never talked about it to anyone except for her family. Blair's husband wanted her to keep it quiet. When she would talk about it, I would tell her to shut up because people are going to think you're crazy, said Jerry Blair. Was there any sort of relationship between the abductees and Mrs. Blair? No, there was not. And Hickson had already passed before she stepped forward as a witness. And afterwards is when she met Parker. But there was no previous relationship. They did not know each other uh, or any way, in any way or form. So, yeah, nope. After seeing a recent media report about the abduction, Blair got the courage to come forward. She said her motivation was to give Calvin Parker and Charles Sixton's story validation. I always wanted to talk to them, 
but just them about it and let them know that they weren't lying because they weren't lying, Blair said. Well, it appears that polygraph tests also said they weren't lying. They passed many of them. A woman named Elizabeth April, who is a frequent speaker at conferences for alien enthusiasts and UFO believers, says when she was 18, she went on a 10-day meditation retreat and woke up one night to find a huge white head hovering above her. Several of the beings that had these huge white heads, what she calls tall whites, a species of aliens she claims are about eight and a half feet tall, very skinny and paper white in color, took her out of her bed and out of her room. She says at which point they shot her up to their ship. While she was up there, she claims they implanted something in her ear with a metal machine, and after the experience, she says a whole world of everything new opened up for me. As invasive as this was, the fact that they put this implant in my ear, regardless of all that, it still opened me up to the possibilities. It was my predestined contracts to be abducted at that time and that age by that species. Did she have the implant removed and or tested? No, she did not because, as she exclaimed, she felt that it opened her mind up. She was able to do different things, see things, hear things, know things, and she felt that it was supposed to be there, so she never messed with it. Actually, this, she says, is when she learned that she has ET genetics in her, that she's basically an alien-human hybrid. After that, she went on, I started getting very vivid flashbacks into other lifetimes where I lived, not as a tall white, but as other ET species, and I lived through these lifetimes, and after being abducted, I started having this recall, these flashes, these visions of who I really am, not just who I am here and now. How did she learn she's a hybrid? Well, we could get into that, but we're not going to, because that is a whole nother story on its own. That is one giant rabbit hole once you start going down that one. Uh, we might have to do a, a podcast on her one time, <laughs> just to bring this all out. That, that, really wild. It's really wild. She has a book out there if you want to read it, but it's pretty cool. All right, so let's move on to one more. During her senior year in high school, Lindsay C. and her best friend, were at her friend's house in Florida. They made and consumed pot brownies. Okay. <laughs> Several hours later, they woke up terrified in her bed and realized they had no idea where the day had gone. An unbelievably bright light was shining in through the window and they could hear a humming noise. Pot brownies. Mm -hmm. The light was bright enough that it had to come from a car pulled up right outside the bedroom window shining its headlights in. But there was a tree and a fence right in front of the window that would have prevented a car from parking there. And the house was too far from the highway for the lights to have been coming from there. Despite the noise and bright lights, none of the friend's family woke up. Years later, Lindsay C. believes that she and her friend were either abducted that night or witnessed someone else being abducted. Since that, since that day, she's had the ability 
to mysteriously break electronic devices by going near them. Are both girls having the same memory? I don't know if they're having a shared memory or not because only Lindsay C. is the one that spoke about it. Mm-hmm. No one else has spoken about it that I'm aware of, so I, I really don't have an answer for that question. Okay. But the next one, they have shared memories. Twin sisters, Audrey and Debbie, not only say that aliens exist, but that they've made contact with them. The twins said it started when they were young. I was probably about five years old or so, and a bright blue light would come into the room and the door would open, and there would be like a foggy kind of misty blue light just shining through the whole house, Audrey said, and these two figures would come in. There would be a tall one, they had black capes, but they were bald and had big eyes. Audrey and her sister call the visitors the bald men, but they're better known in UFO circles as the Greys, a race of extraterrestrials categorized by the grayish color of their skin. The twins' first encounter with aliens, they say, came during childhood and continued into adulthood. They also believe they have been abducted together and on the same spaceship, only to compare stories afterwards. We have been together on abductions, Audrey said. We have been up in crafts and seen our house from above. So we realize they are not from here. They are very good at mind erasing or whatever you want to call it. They'll leave you with bits and pieces of things you can remember. So we do remember certain things of being there together. When asked why aliens would continue to abduct them together, the twins had no explanation. That's the question I ask myself, Debbie said. A lot of times I'll wake up in tears saying, why me? Why me? Why can't this happen to somebody else? Perhaps the aliens are curious about the twin dynamic? Yeah, that's possible. You know, twins seem to have a universal consciousness connection, things like Mm -hmm. that. But I have to wonder, is one twin a hybrid and the other one's not? How would you know? You wouldn't, but the aliens might know. That's a weird question and a weird thought right there, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Some of this may sound outlandish and possibly laughable to some. However, are all of these people lying, hallucinating, or having some type of mental illness? I don't think so. And here's some food for thought. This was taken from the Harvard Gazette and was published on February 20, 2003, and the article reads, Mark H. says he was abducted by aliens. He clearly remembers awakening one night, unable to move anything but his eyes. He saw flashing lights, heard buzzing sound, experienced feelings of levitation, and felt electric tingling sensations. Most terrifying were the non-human figures he saw by his bed. Mark believes they were aliens. Later, he underwent hypnosis to try to recall exactly what had happened to him. Under hypnosis, Mark remembered being whisked through an open window to a large spaceship. He was very frightened when the aliens took him into some kind of medical examining room. There, he even had sex with one of them, he said. Afterward, the aliens brought him back to Earth and returned him to his bed. 
Mark describes the experience as terrifying, but did it really happen? I often wonder if it is possible and how afterwards to determine if one is dreaming or not. Well, I think we're going to find out some of that because some researchers at Harvard University devised an experiment to determine if memories of an abduction by space aliens would provoke the same physiological reactions that occur when other people, such as combat veterans and those who survived deadly car accidents, recall their traumatic experiences. Richard McNally, a professor of psychology, and his colleagues recruited six women and four men who claimed they had been spirited away by extraterrestrials, some of them more than once. Under hypnosis, seven of the ten reported having had their sperm or eggs extracted for breeding purposes or experiencing direct sexual contact with the space aliens. Each of these people was interviewed by either McNally or Susan Clancy, also a professor of psychology. Each also wrote a script that told the story of their abduction. The research team then made audio tapes spoken and read in neutral voices from the scripts. The abductees listened to these tapes in the laboratory of Scott Orr or the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Manchester, New Hampshire. As the tapes played, the researchers recorded their emotional responses using such measures as heart rate and sweat on the palm of their hands. The same procedure was done with eight people haunted by traumatic experiences unrelated to alien abductions. When the two set of measurements were compared, the results were striking. Abductees showed surprisingly strong physiological reactions to the tapes of their alien encounters. Their reactions were as great or greater than those of individuals who cannot shake memories of combat, sexual abuse, and other punishing events. McNally announced these findings on February 16, 2003, at a meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Denver. The results underscore the power of emotional belief, he noted. People who sincerely believe they have been abducted by aliens show patterns of emotional and physiological responses to these memories that are strikingly similar to those who have had generally traumatized by combat or similar events. So, can this be considered proof of the abductions? Well, no, it cannot. But, it can be considered proof that something traumatic did happen to those involved. Deb, I'm curious to know, what do you think about alien abduction? I believe these people had experiences that defy logic, and they were very brave to put themselves out there. I agree. They were brave for coming forward. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. But unless you are a witness or experience it yourself, I don't think you can relate or understand what they are going through. Personally, I don't know that I would believe I had been abducted at first, knowing myself. I would probably pass it off as a nightmare. Now, if there were to be physical evidence or something out of the ordinary about my surroundings when I wake, I would be frightened as all get out. You, Dr. Bill, would be the only person I confide in because I trust you and people can be just 
so cruel. What would you do? Well, you know, the first thing I would do is tell everybody about your experience. I mean, <laughs> you know me. No, I mean, what would you do oh, if you okay. felt you, you know, it was not funny. Okay. But. Well, let's see. What would I do? <laughs> well, I, most everything else in my life, I would take some time and I would just keep rolling this back and forth in my brain, trying to analyze it, figure it out, so on and so forth. And for Lord only knows how long you'd be going, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Right? Yeah. Like, like I do when I'm trying to figure things out. But mm-hmm. eventually, once I figured it out, I would speak about it. I would come forward. I'm not sure what form I would use. Something like the show would be a great form, mm-hmm. you know, so where you can do it safely without ridicule. But what about you folks? Please reach out and let us know your thoughts. And if you have had an experience and would like to share it in a non-judgmental platform, reach out to us. We would love to help you find some relief by providing you a safe environment. Thanks for listening, and until next time when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode. (laughs) 